0: Don asked a question, and when somebody asks a question and I can't answer it, I may not be able to answer it then, but I'm going to go check it out, and I'm going to make sure I know how to answer it. And so he was right. I, wanted, I want you to go to Acts 1. Just wanted to show you something that's really important to see. In verse 6 of Acts 1, notice it says, and when they were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So the asking part, I said it was an iterative idea. The asking part is iterative. They kept on asking him, and what did they keep on asking him? And this is what they said. Since, now Don is right in this this regard, it was a first-class condition. But they kept on asking him, and what they were saying is, since at this time you're going to restore the kingdom? Since at this time you're going to restore the kingdom? They kept on doing it. Now why did they do that? Because that's what they were looking for. They weren't looking for the church. They weren't looking for the church. There's no such thing as the church. And this is really important to understand. And so we come back to here, even right before his ascension, they're still looking for the church. And so here in the, and I give you all this technical stuff, the word is eritao. Erat'o is an interesting word because if you remember from Dan's communication with God. It's to ask as an equal. And so when he was here doing his earthly ministry, they could ask him as an equal. Hey, can you do this? But remember when he said that when he left, that the communication was going to change? No longer will you ask me as an equal. But from this point forward, when you ask, you will ask the Father in my name. Right? But at this point, they're still asking him as an equal. Now, this is kind of an interesting ideal here. This is what is called an imperfect, uh, an iterative imperfect. And it has this ideal. They kept on asking him. They kept on asking him. Why? He's getting ready to go away. They're wondering, where's the kingdom? What are you going to set this thing up? What's going on here? And they're wondering, what is going on? It's like we used to do this with my mother. Only well, didn't go well for us. <laughs> you know, I remember one time I kept asking her and telling her, "Mama, I need some socks." The next thing I know is I got barely got the last sock out. <laughs> yeah, before I got socked. Uh, but, you know, but this is how they were. They were like, "Kid, what, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen?" And this is very important to understand because here I see the Book of Acts as a transition now. From the Gospels into what we understand the church to be. So, if you take the book of Acts out, it's a bridge, it's a transition, it's a book of transition, transitioning from the Gospels into what we understand the church to be. And so, a lot of people don't understand the book of Acts, right? And so, you have people who believe that a lot of the things that happen in Acts should happen today. You know, you have people who believe that they should, the church, everybody in church should share all that they have. Give it to the, well, who are you going to give it to? The apostles are not around. That's who they had then. Uh, and so notice, again, here's a good dispensational distinction. What did Paul say to the to Thessalonians? Today, if a man don't work, he ought not to eat. How about that one? I mean, that people don't like that. <laughs> want to hear that. You know, they think, the oh, people should check what they got and give it to me. You know. Uh, God, that's not what God said. It's not what He said at all. And so they get dispensational pretty quickly when they want to find the scripture that they want to to push. But we got about 60 pages left to cover, so that means about 10 pages per class. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll get it done. But there's a lot of information here. I think he's giving me one. We've got a lot. Well, it's just that the subject matter is huge. I'm telling you, I've pared this down. 60 pages is a small amount in comparison to how much information is covered here. Uh, And we just didn't have the time to be able to do it. And and so Don knows he's got a a bigger task with the uh, Old Testament. And so on page 19... So the good news of the kingdom was preached during Christ's earthly ministry. As mentioned, the kingdom from the heavens was expected to be a literal earthly kingdom. And you can see that out of Isaiah 9, verse 6 through 7. The kingdom from the heavens was preached to the nation of Israel. And so here we just could see this and we'll just look at Acts, the 13th chapter. Again, you see how scripture interprets scripture, right? So I this is just like putting it out there. This is so easy. I, mean, I don't even have to... You can see this in whatever language you look in. <laughs> it's just easy. This is just, our job is easy when Scripture interprets Scripture in the way that it does here. Notice here in Acts the 13. It's so easy to see. Acts 13. Now, remember here, Paul is talking to the church at Antioch, and he makes this distinction. And he says, verse 22, And when he had removed him, he's given this narrative of the nation of Israel. And uh, kind of a historical narrative. And he says in verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up to him, David, to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will of this man's seed has God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel, a savior, Jesus. And when did he do this? When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance, and who did he preach it to? All the people of Israel. See? And so, if I want to then take what John is preaching and say that he's preaching it to the church, I'm taking it out of context. We have a clear scripture here that tells us that his baptism was to the nation of Israel. Very clear. Not, not hard to really see that. I mean, there's no textual issues here, nothing to, to complain about, nothing to, to quibble about. It's pretty clear to see. And so uh, boy, I wish uh, that was clear all the time in, in various scriptures. Sometimes you have to get into the languages and, and some other things, and, and certainly many more scriptures to prove it. The wise men who traveled from the east confirmed this fact when he, when he asked, or when they asked, "Where is he that is born? what?" King of the Jews. Well, what would we say today? You have a lot of people who are saying, where is he that's born? King of the church. Isn't that what they're saying today? No, he says King of the Jews. You'd went and asked the wise men, Mr. Wise Man, why, where is the nearest church? Can we find it? Well, I know you're looking for it, right? They wouldn't have understood what you were talking about. That's not what their mindset was. They were looking for a king. And Herod understood it, Right. When Herod killed all of the kids from the age two and under, he wasn't killing those kids because of the fact that there's a church that some guy was going to be leading. He was killing them because he heard that there was a king that was going to be ruling. And so notice the appearance of John the Baptist confirmed the arrival of the kingdom John appeared onto the scene, preaching the kingdom uh, was at hand. The kingdom would have been set up if the nation of Israel had accepted the offer of the kingdom. The facts of Israel's rejection is seen in this way. The rejection of the message heralding John's, uh, the kingdom of John's baptism. Remember in Matthew 21? As the Lord is talking to them, and he asked, they, he had, they tried to trick him uh, with a question. Well, let's just turn there. I'm not doing a good job of illustrating it, and I want to make sure that you understand it. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 24 and 27. So they come to the Lord, and they're trying to trick him. They're trying to catch him in his words. And he's going to ask them one question, and it's going to show by this question he asked that they did not believe John the Baptist. Notice now in Matthew chapter 21, and notice in verse 24, and Jesus uh Pick it up in verse 23. And when he had come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the temple came unto him. And as he was teaching, excuse me, they said, by what authority do you do these things? And who gave thee this authority? So they're asking the Lord this. And notice verse 24. And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you. By what authority do I do these things? By what authority I do these things. Verse 25. The baptism of John. Whence was it? Was it from heaven? Or men? Now he puts them in a pickle. They don't know what to say. And they're going to tell you what they didn't know what to say. And they reason within themselves saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all held John as a prophet. So what do they do? They do what evil men do when they don't want people to see their hand. And they answered Jesus and said, we cannot say. (laughs) Just like that. We cannot say. And he said unto them, these are tell I you by what authority I do these things. Right. They just pleaded the fifth because they knew it would incriminate them. They didn't believe John. They didn't believe it. And as a result of that, you can see that they did not believe this offer of the kingdom. The rejection is seen in the statement to the chief priest by Pontius Pilate. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said unto them, this is out of John 1915, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. You see? They said, That's the only king we have. He's not our king. And you, they go on to say later on, remember, uh, don't write that he's king. Write that he said he's king. We don't, that's, he's not our king. Right? And so notice in Matthew 16 20, Jesus' instruction to the disciples to tell no man that he was Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. At this point, the Lord has seen in Matthew 16, and we won't go there for time's sake, that Israel has rejected him. And he begins to tell, don't tell anyone else this from now on, that I'm the Messiah. Well, okay, you're looking at me. I have to turn there. Leon's looking at me saying, why are you not turning there? <laughs> Matthew chapter 16. And so notice in verse... Uh, um, 13, and so they go into Caesarea, uh, Caesarea Philippi, and so they're there, and the, the Lord asked them, who do, who do men say that the Son of Man is? And so and notice in verse 14, and some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say you are Elijah, others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. And think about this, here this man, he comes off the pages, and uh, walks off the pages of, of, of prophecy into time, And you'd think, we're looking back at it. Sure, everybody knew who he was, but everybody didn't. He wasn't walking around glowing. If you would have seen him doing his earthly ministry, if the Father had not opened your eyes to see that he was the Messiah and that he was God, you would have just thought he was just another man that needed to be persecuted, just like the Jews did. That's is why they talked to him the way that they did. They thought they were talking to another man. And so notice verse 15, he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the, the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And, and notice he goes on to say, um, talk, tell Peter some things. Verse 20 is where we wanted to go. Then charged thee his disciples that they should not uh, tell no man that he was the Messiah. You stop preaching that, he was, that I'm Jesus the Christ. Why would he tell them that? Why would he tell them to stop preaching that he was the Messiah? Jesus, remember his name, Matthew 1.21? You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Jews have rejected him. He no longer is preaching the kingdom from the heavens at this point. And so, if you say that these two kingdoms are the same, the kingdom of God, the kingdom from the heavens you're going to run into some problems. You're going to run into some problems. Notice the Jews' reaction to Pilate's inscription over the cross. Uh, again, you see it in the 19th chapter of John, verse 21, right not that he, the uh, king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. And so the Jews rejected the kingdom. Um, it did not sign- though the Jews rejected the kingdom, it did not signify the end of the kingdom. A message concerning the kingdom will be preached during the tribulation period. And so they rejected the kingdom. The kingdom was postponed. Remember, we, 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 we read a scripture in Acts 3 last week where even on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a message to them and said that if they repented as a nation, that times of refreshing would come from the Lord. I believe the kingdom would have been set up right then if they would have repented right there on the day of Pentecost. If they would have repented, they still didn't repent. And so what happens? It's going to be set up at a future time. I really believe you say, well, what would have happened if the kingdom would have been set up then? I think God's program and his uh, decree would have actually happened different. The rapture would have happened at a different time. The tribulation period would have happened at a different time. The church would have come in at a different time. You know, God can do that. He's not, he doesn't have to fit the program the way that you and I want it to see it fit. He can change it if he wants to. And so notice in Matthew chapter 24, you see it, that this is a good news of the kingdom is going to be preached. And this is the kingdom that he offered to Israel. They rejected that he's going to set up at the end of the tribulation period in Matthew chapter 24. You see it and notice in verse 14. Notice in verse, uh, pick it up, verse thirteen. But he he that shall endure till the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. And so, during the tribulation period, you're going to have the 144,000 Jews that are going around all throughout the tribulation period, preaching the kingdom's coming, and whoever believes their message will respond to them. This is when you can give someone, hopefully you're not there during that time where you would have to do this, <laughs> you will be able to give one of these guys a cold glass of water and it will mean something because water will be in short supply. Hey, you want cold water today? I'll come sit out on my, my lawn and just pass out cold water all day long. It's not gonna, it doesn't mean anything today. But when water is in short supply, and there's a drought, and the sea and the rivers have been turned to blood, water is going to be at a premium. You give someone a cold glass of water on that day, it's going to mean something. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. And so the kingdom is going to come. It's just been postponed to the end of the tribulation period. And the preaching of the gospel concerning the kingdom will signify the end of the age. You see that in Matthew uh, 24, 3. The John the Baptist baptized those believing in the coming kingdom from the heavens with the baptism of repentance that led many to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The object of belief during the kingdom from the heavens was a change of mind concerning the kingdom from the heavens. So they had gone 400 years waiting for this Messiah to show up. And John the Baptist says he's here. Have a change of mind. The kingdom is here. All they had to do was believe that message. The good news concerning the kingdom of God was, on the other hand, um, was the other kingdom preached, whereas the kingdom from the heavens was a kingdom related to the nation of Israel. The kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that pertains to salvation. The kingdom of God is inclusive of all that are saved. Uh, Scripture states that the law and the prophets were the doctrine taught up until the John the Baptist, but the kingdom of God began to preach from then. Now, interesting thing, I just want to show you in Mark 1, 14, as an illustration. So John's put into prison, and we told you that the kingdom from the heavens had been rejected. But notice what Mark says in in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and verse 14. Now, notice in in verse 14 of uh, Mark, chapter uh, uh, 1. Now, after John was put into prison, Jesus came into the the Galilee and preaching, and I believe here he's kept on preaching the good news concerning the kingdom of God. And so notice he's not preaching. If you go back into Matthew chapter 4, he starts preaching the kingdom from the heavens. So he's preaching the kingdom from the heavens, and I believe he's preaching the kingdom of God at the same time. So remember we told you that at one point in time, and you'll see it in the millennial kingdom, these two kingdoms are going to be simultaneous in the same time. Those who belong, kingdom of the heavens is pertaining to the nation of Israel. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you don't see that term used outside of the book of Matthew. Now, why is that? Why do you not see the term, the kingdom from the heavens, used outside the book of Matthew? You know why? Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. They would understand exactly what that meant. Now, you have him preaching also the kingdom of God and its salvation. He encounters Nicodemus, and what does he say to Nicodemus? You must be born again. And he's talking to him about spiritual matters. Not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. Now notice in Luke, just the 17th chapter, you really see it here. Really easy to see in Luke chapter 17, concerning the kingdom of God. And we're not going to be able to spend a whole lot of time on it, but I think it's 1721. So notice the kingdom from the the kingdom from the heavens could be seen. It's going to be a visible kingdom, but notice the kingdom of God. We don't always know who's in the kingdom of God. I think I might know, but only God knows for sure, right? You think somebody might be a believer? You might think I'm a believer. You say I don't know about that guy. <laughs> maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. Only God knows for sure. Now notice here, Luke 17, verse 21. uh, Start with verse 20. And when he had demanded of the Pharisees uh, when the kingdom of God should come, um, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's not something that you can see with the eye. You see. Totally different kingdom. Totally different kingdom. And I I would say if you mess those up, you're going to screw up your theology. You you really will. You'll do a, a lot of damage. And so if you just, just all you have to do is get a concordance out, take kingdom from the heavens, kingdom from God, and just go right down the line looking at what it says about each one of those and don't look at what's similar between them. Look at what's different and you'll be able to see the differences. And there are many. And so notice the kingdom of God uh, fulfilled the prophecy of the Lord Jesus, or the Lord being a light to delight in the Gentiles. Um, The good news concerning the kingdom of God was proclaimed by the Lord and his disciples. The Lord was involved in the proclamation or proclaiming the gospel concerning the kingdom from the heavens and the kingdom from God. Prior to to John the Baptist's arrest, he preached the kingdom from the heavens. The Lord preached the kingdom after John was imprisoned. You see it there. Um, in Matthew, he also preached the rule of life for the kingdom from the heavens if Israel would have accepted the Messiah. And you see that Don did an excellent job on Matthew chapter 5. If you look at it uh, on the uh, Sermon on the Mount, one of the most most misunderstood sermons that the Lord preached is the Sermon on the Mount. It is one of the most misunderstood sermons that he preached. And it was what would have been the rule of life had Israel accepted the kingdom. That's what the Sermon on the Mount amounted to. And so he preached the uh, changed forms of the kingdom from the heaven, and you see it in Matthew chapter 13. Now notice the Lord began preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God after John was put into prison. And so we just showed you that. And then the kingdom of God was preached also to the Jews as well. Regeneration was required for entry into the kingdom of God. And many disciples were sent out preaching uh, the kingdom of God. Uh, The twelve disciples were sent out to preach the kingdom of God to heal the sick. The disciples had special authority over devils to cure diseases. They also went out preaching the good news and healing everywhere. Seventy disciples were sent out to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God in every city. You see that in Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. And so this is distinct from the 12 disciples that were sent out to preach the kingdom from the heavens. And so they went into every city and every place. The cities and the places where the kingdom of God is um, the ones in which the Lord was about to go, and they had success preaching the message of the kingdom of God. Now, you have um, some people who have written books, the gospel according to Jesus. We won't mention any names. Some of you know who that person is. And so they they presuppose that the gospel that Jesus preaches is the same gospel that you accept and believe today. Can I say to you that you will have a hard time proving that from Scripture? You cannot prove that from Scripture. Now, one of the things that we we will see and we'll show you uh, hopefully as we continue to progress through here is that four things are true. That man has always been saved by God. Man has always been saved by grace. Man has always been saved by faith. What they believed in each dispensation is different. Now, you're going to tell me that Rahab believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And I'm going to say to you, watch what you eat before you go to bed at night. Because it's giving you some delusions (laughs) because it ain't true. And so how do they do that? And you have people who say that and they go back and try to prove it. And you know what they have to do to prove that? They have to allegorize pour meanings into scripture to say that. You will not find a scripture that actually says that. Not one. And so they try to say that Abraham, and we're going to see in the future, there's a real good scripture that we can use in Galatians 3 that shows you Abraham didn't believe what we believe today. What was the good news that Abraham believed? That in your, by, through your seed, your singular seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's what na- uh, Abraham believed. And we have a scripture that says it. We don't even have to guess. But today, you and I must believe that Christ died on the cross for our sins, he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day. Now, I would like for you to show me in the Gospels that these people believed that. In fact, just let me show you one example. If you turn over to John chapter 2, you'll see that these people believed not that. They believed actually uh, in his deity, when they saw him turn the, the water into wine in Cana of Galilee. Now, I suppose if you were able to go somewhere and see the Lord somewhere today, and you uh, saw him turn water into wine, maybe you might be able to believe the way that they believed. But I don't see how that you're going to do that. If they had some time machine, maybe you can get in the time machine and go back in time. <laughs> but that's not happening today. Notice in John chapter 2, um, verse uh, six. And there were six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bare it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that it was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said unto him, every man at the beginning does set forth the good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Notice in verse 11, this beginning of miracles did Jesus and Cana of Galilee, and he manifested forth his glory. And notice what happens here. And his disciples believed on him. You see, this is what it, you see the death, burial and resurrection of Christ here. I could take you to Luke chapter 18 and we will do it just to piggyback right here. Because we've done it before, but just it's an opportunity to piggyback Luke chapter 18. Now they believed, but they didn't believe in his resurrection. Remember, it wasn't until they got to the tomb and they saw the empty tomb. And what did it say? And then they believed. Right. Now, we don't we're not looking for an empty tomb. We believe because of facts that we've been given that this is what happened. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he was raised. Now, we're going to show you right here in Luke chapter 18. They didn't believe that. So notice in Luke chapter 18... In verse 31, then took he to him the twelve and he said unto them, behold, we go to Jerusalem and all the things written by the prophets concerning the son of man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on and they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall raise, I think it's middle day, he shall raise himself. Verse 34, and they understood none of these things and this saying was hid from them and neither knew they the things that were spoken and what he was talking about now you and i if we're told that, that what the, the gospel is today and we don't understand that it's 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 clear that we've been blinded right now they were they already believed but they didn't believe those facts today you must believe these facts to be saved or you're not saved No, I didn't say it. Don't look at me like that, Joe. 1 Corinthians 15. (laughs) You get 1 Corinthians 15 and you'll be able to see that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. (laughs) I'm just messing with you, Joe. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Notice in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you've received wherein you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what i preached unto you unless you believed in, believed in vain for i believed unto uh, deliver unto you how that which i also received how christ died for our sins and if you get this right it's just a natural step into living by grace if you believe christ died as a substitute for my sins you understand the price has been paid what do i have to work for he did it this is the problem. A lot of people don't believe this. They think that they have to do something. They have to do it. And so he says, and he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. This is pan- this tantamount to you being saved today. And if you don't believe these facts, I'm always looking for these facts of what someone says that they believe. Right? This is how you know whether someone's saved or not. And this is what Scripture says. It's the standard for it. And so, I mean, you, obviously you meet people and, they, and I've seen people who are confused. And they, and they may not be able to tell you this succinctly, but when you talk to them, you can see that that's what they're trusting in. And when you get around all of this other stuff, you know, a lot of people have been told so many different things that they have to believe to be saved that they just throw in the whole thing. Even the kitchen sink, they just try to make sure that everything's included. But you can really, as you talk to them, you'll see that they're only trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, theological contradictions prove that the Gospels are doctrine for faith, uh, the Church's faith, but not practice. And so there's just so much theology that it would be contradictory as you go into the epistles. That would be contradictory if you say, if you made a statement that we're going to practice the Gospels and practice the, what is in the Epistles at the same time, you're going to end up with a lot of contradictory theology. Well, let's look at some of it. Here we have the heading of Soteriology, and so Soteriology is uh, the doctrine of salvation. How are we saved? How does God save people? And so, soteriology is critically handicapped when believers apply the Gospels as doctrine for the Church's practice. Salvation in the dispensation of grace cannot be found in the Gospels, and a failure to make this clear distinction has caused major problems in Christendom. So, a little interpretation of Scripture will lead one to the conclusion that God provided a different object of salvation in each dispensation, and so, for example, we've just mentioned this. Erroneously, it was taught that Abraham believed the gospel of salvation that's provided by believers today. So turn over to Galatians chapter 3, and we talked about this, and you can see it for yourself, what Abraham believed. And you can go back. This is the uh, account that is mentioned in um, Genesis chapter 15. <coughs> and so notice, And and by the way, when you think about good news, you want to think about gospel. You want to think about the fact that the word gospel means good news. That's all it's it's saying. Good news. There's a good news. And so there's a good news that uh, is preached today about how we live by grace. Right. And so there's a good news that have been preached in different times. And so God has uh, saw fit to do that. Now, notice in verse six of Galatians chapter three, even as Abraham believed God, And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye not, therefore, that they which are of faith, the same are children of Abraham? And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the, uh, the gospel, or really, he gospelized Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So here you have, right, the content of what he said is the good news that was preached to Abraham, that uh, in, by, in thee shall all, nations of the, the, uh, uh, shall all nations be blessed. And so how are the nations blessed? You go through the fourth Abrahamic com- covenant, and in that fourth Ab- Abrahamic covenant, there's a part of that Abrahamic covenant that talks about a singular seed that would come through the line of Abraham, and through that seed will all the nations be blessed. Abraham, a man, God, he looked up and he says that, Abraham, your stars are going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And Abraham believed God. He counted and God counted this for righteousness. And so notice the point that we're trying to make here is Abraham didn't believe in the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. You don't see that here. And so what you will, I would challenge you to do go back. And there's not a lot of people that you can see that we have records where it said that they believed. But there are some. Abraham, Rahab, a lot of the Old Testament saints, you know, it's just assumed that they were believers. And some of them are mentioned in Hebrews 11, but you really can't find the particular place where they actually believed. But we have some. Rahab, as an example, I challenge you to go back and see what Rahab believed. You will not find the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. <laughs> and that's what they say. Oh, she was saved because they dropped a rope over the, the, the wall. They lift the prisoners up and that, that rope was red. Right. Symbolic of the blood of Christ. And this is how, you know what that's symbolic of? It's symbolic that people don't take scripture for what it says. That's what it's symbolic of. And that's what you call uh, eisegesis, as Don talked about yesterday. You're reading in the scripture because you won't find that there. You're reading in the scripture. You're making scripture say what you want it to say. And you won't find that in scripture at all. And so you got all of these people who believe that Moses is in this dispensation of grace. He's going to go up in the rapture with us. Abraham, Samson, they make no distinctions in Scripture whatsoever. God makes the distinction, and they just say, okay, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. This is what's really going to happen. You realize how much guts that takes to say that? Or stupidity. Yeah, well, stupidity, yes. And, you know, God's going to sort it all out. But there are people saying things today that are absolutely not true. Yes? Yeah, I think the correct term for that is uh, what I heard years ago, pan millennialism." It'll hmm. all pan out the way the Lord wants <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Pan millennialism, Don says. It's going to all work out. <laughs> it's all going to pan out. It's true. God's going to sort it out. Uh, it's, I just grew up thinking when my father was just one who trembled at getting it right. And you have people today who just, they just cavalierly say stuff that they cannot prove and they pound the pulpit about it like they can. And the only thing that you can see is their imagination is very healthy. Because you can't find what they're saying in Scripture. And so on page 22 is where we are. The good news preached to Abraham was just that. The, all the nations should be, uh, would be blessed. And so um, let's go on down. Um, so in the second paragraph here, salvation in every dispensation has been provided by God. And we talked about that. The Scripture indicates the fallen condition of man renders him inoperable for uh, providing his own salvation. Grace that is provided, uh, and this this uh, grace is provided uh, as a provision given by God apart from works and faith uh, in believing God in his word. And all those believing from Abraham to the apostle Paul, for example, were all saved as a result of God by grace through faith. But again, the object of salvation is different. And then I give you more information there. You can look that up. I don't want to. We talked about it. I want to go through that again. If you go back over to page 23 uh, and we talked about. Uh, Luke 18, that's what's uh, encompassed there concerning salvation. Um, and then um, let's go to this uh, uh, second paragraph here. Another major distinction concerning salvation, the salvation process in the Gospels versus that under grace is the role of the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so those were drawn, who were drawn to Jesus during his earthly ministry were drawn to him by the Father. Now this is really interesting. Um, The Holy Spirit had not yet been given and the father was the one that opened the eyes of people to believe. This is just interesting. Now, I can't I can't really even tell you why did God do this? I don't know. All I can tell you is this. He did. Well, look at John, chapter six and verse forty four. John chapter 6 and verse 44. <clears throat> now, it's just an amazing thing when you listen to the Lord. And he was, he was very focused in his earthly ministry. Uh, and notice what he says here. And he, just, he, ca- he continued to say this. In verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all of which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up uh, again at the last day. Now, I believe here there are people who believe during Christ's earthly ministry that uh, looking at the possibility that if they would have continued on and accepted the uh, the kingdom, the possibility there was going to be a last day resurrection. Right. And so, for example, in Luke, the 11th chapter, remember what Martha said? Uh, when Jesus raised her brother, uh, when her brother was dead, he says, she said, I know that he will raise in the resurrection at the last day. And so there's going to be a resurrection of the Old Testament saints at the end of the tribulation period to start the millennial kingdom. And so that was something that they had an expectation of. And notice, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. Then the Jews uh, then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I came down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not among yourselves. No man is able to come to me except the father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise them up in the last day. And so there's the potentiality. Those that believe It's interesting. And I think that what's caught up here is the actual and the potential of what if the Jews had accepted the kingdom. Now, we'll see in Mark, the 10th chapter, that after they've rejected the kingdom, that they're promised that when they uh, that they're going to get eternal life in the age to come. And so some of these Jews were transitioned into the church but there's still that believe during Christ's earthly ministry, but there's still a resurrection of the Old Testament Jews that's promised at the end of the tribulation period. And so you have both of those ideals working there. And so you can get that in Daniel chapter 12, that there's Old Testament saints. There's going to be a resurrection of the Old Testament saints at the end of the tribulation period. And so notice the father is the one that caused men to be able to see. Now we understand today The Holy Spirit is the one that causes that today. John chapter 16. We'll see it when we get to pneumatology that the Holy Spirit is the one that causes men to be able to see uh, today. And so notice that today believers are illuminated by the Holy Spirit to believe the facts concerning the gospel of salvation. Christ promised that one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit when he came would be that of convincing men. The word convincing is the word ekleko, which is translated many times means to convince The ideal behind the word is to cast a light on those in sin, causing them to be convinced of its worthlessness. And the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit was not possible in the Gospels because he was not yet resident upon the earth. Notice in chapter 7 and verse 39. We have one glaring scripture for those who believe that these people had the Holy Spirit like you and I have today. This ought to close the case right here. John chapter 7. Notice in verse 39. Verse 39. The Lord's in the uh, temple on the um, first day, on, on the uh, day of the feast. And notice he, verse 37, in the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. They did not have the Holy Spirit like we have today. Now this is very significant for a lot of things. For our, our, uh, how we live the Christian life, our ability to overcome our spiritual enemies, illumination. I mean, it's just huge. They didn't have this like we do today. And so when you say that the Gospels and how they, they, they carry themselves in the Gospels is the same way as what happens today, you are ignoring what Scripture says is true. You're completely ignoring that. To think that they could behave in the same way that we behave today, and you have people who believe that they were regenerated just like we are today. Really? How? How? They didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. The Holy Spirit hadn't been sent. Remember, the son said, when I go away, I'm going to send to you the comforter, right? How could they? You know, people have a problem with the fact that God changes what he does. They just can't get over it. They want to put God in a box and say he's been doing the same thing the same way all throughout scripture, and it bothers them that he doesn't. And they can't prove it. And it drives them nuts. Well, I don't, look, I'm nutty enough. I just let scripture say what it says. I can't lose any more of my brain cells than I have. I just let scripture say what it says. It's easier to do that, isn't it? And so you just, you have this problem. Now notice here you have pneumatology is affected. Uh, And so pneumatology, again, we've just talked about that. So we're piggyback on this. And and it's uh, another area of theology that's undermined when one accepts that the gospels are doctrine for the church's faith and practice. Pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit, and it's clear from the distinctions made in Scripture that the Holy Spirit's role in God's program was different in the synoptic Gospels than it was um, from the day of Pentecost. So I'll ask you one question. If the Holy Spirit was already here, then what's happening on the day of Pentecost? I mean, is that fair? If the Holy Spirit was already active in the Gospels... What, what is the significance of the Day of Pentecost? It was the teaching of how to speak in tongues. Oh, that's what it is. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> <day>. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks for, clarifi- for clarifying that. And so notice the Apostle John records this statement, in, uh, and we just saw it, about the Holy Spirit not yet uh, coming. And as mentioned on page 25, the Holy Spirit was not resident upon the earth during Christ's earthly ministry, residency uh, is when one or more persons of the Godhead emphasized their presence at one place in the shared essence. For example, the pre-incarnate Son was resident upon the earth in the temple up until his departure. Uh, in Ezekiel 10, he returned to the earth at his incarnation. Matthew one twenty-three, the Holy Spirit was not resident upon the earth during Christ's earthly ministry. Um, and so here we'll pursue the Holy Spirit's activities uh, in the Gospels uh, the prophecy of his coming and the ministry uh, of the Holy, Spirit, the, uh, the Holy Spirit and the grace. Now notice the Holy Spirit's empowerment for service. Um, While well, he empowered the, um, the Lord, um, or he came upon him. or he, Okay, let's do this. He came upon those in the Old Testament. And so uh, two uh, examples of Simeon and Anna, which you find in Luke chapter 2. And also the filling ministry of the Holy Spirit was different in the Gospels than presently under the dispensation of grace. You find a little bit different situation when the Holy Spirit was working uh, in this dispensation of grace. You have this idea of a mental feeling. And so some of this was uh, seen early on in the, and Courtney's talked about this in Sunday school, and where there was more of a mental control of those in the early going of the church. And so that word that is used there is plethos, and you can, kind of, you can look that up. i give you the information here. And then the uh, other feeling that is talked about today, which is when we understand being filled by the Holy Spirit per Ephesians 5, it's to fill up what's lacking. And that's a whole different um, use of how that's being used. On page 26 at the top, the Holy Spirit became resident upon the earth at the day of Pentecost. His residency was prophesied in the Gospels. The Apostle John confirms that the Holy Spirit was not resident upon the earth. Uh, and John uses a Greek preposition power to denote the Holy Spirit's location was alongside God the Father. The Lord promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. And this is where we want to go. Look at John chapter 16 and verse 7. So now the Lord is up on the, on the earth. And what's really neat about this is you can really track this. So here's the Lord. The second person of the Godhead is on the earth doing his earthly ministry. The Father and the Holy Spirit is in heaven. So now the Son goes back into the third heaven and he sends the Holy Spirit. What's going to be really interesting when the tribulation period starts is the Holy Spirit's going to leave. But there's not anyone else coming down for seven years. And so there's not going to be not one member of the Godhead that's going to be resident on the earth during the tribulation period. And it's going to be, it's going to make for some really interesting events. Now notice in John chapter 16, uh, st- we'll start with verse 7. Notice uh, the, the Lord had talked about sending um, the Holy Spirit. Let's start with verse 1. These things I've spoken unto you uh, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time shall uh, cometh that whosoever shall kill you shall think that he does God a service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you shall remember that I I have told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way uh, to him that sent me, and none of you ask, Whither goeth thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, verse 7, The truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now notice what he says that he will do when he comes. Verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove or convince the world of three things. Of sin. And notice, very important to understand here, the word sin. Does it have an S on it? Now, why do I raise that point? Because today we have this misunderstanding of what repentance is. And so they believe that if you have, when you repent, that you have to confess all your sins. It's what they say. It's kind of how sinner's prayer, hard to keep track of it because it's different every time you hear it. And I really don't see it in scripture, so it's, it's hard to track when people say it. They believe you have to confess all your sins, you got to really be sorry. Then they throw 2 Corinthians chapter 7 in there. you got to cry. you got to shed some tears. Then you uh, confess Jesus as Lord. Then you might believe. But notice what it says here. This sin here is singular. Not plural. Now what is the sin that it's talking about? Well, he's going to tell you in the context. We don't even have to guess. That he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Right? How hard is this? Is this hard, Scott? Maybe if you don't understand English. But even in some of your other translations, I'm sure that they get this. It's pretty... It's just not hard. Of righteousness... Uh, Because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And so you see the the work of the Holy Spirit and it wasn't happening before the Lord went away. The Lord goes away. He sends the comforter. And the comforter is the one now that has a ministry. And we'll see as we we move forward. What does he do to the unsaved world? He removes the blinders according to 2 Corinthians four four from the unbeliever that they might be able to see. Well, who did that during the father's or during the son's earthly ministry? Well, the father was the one that drew men to the son. The Holy Spirit's doing something a little bit different. He's able to, the Holy Spirit the, the son and so this is why you can tell someone the gospel and you and I've done this. You tell someone the gospel and I told Scott this. We talked about this some years ago. And you, what happens? You could tell them and they still don't get it. You know why? The Holy Spirit's blinding their eyes. Wait. That sound like you told me the gospel and I didn't get it. No, no, no. <laughs> That's what it sounded we were, Okay, let me explain. <laughs> Scott now was talking about pe- telling people the gospel when they didn't get it. Okay. That's what we're talking Okay. All right. <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit, and I used to think, well, what is this that he's doing? How is he doing this? I. I thought it was maybe something he was shining in their mind, but I can see it now. That what happens is someone believes something else, or they're holding to something else, and that one thing is stopping them from receiving the truth. And you can see it with people. The easiest thing to see is when people that say, "Oh, there's this, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites," you know, "her church is full of hypocrites," but you're on your way to hell. What does that matter? And they, they can't see it. And so the, Holy, the, the Satan will use something to blind the minds of people, and no matter what, they can't let go of it. It's like a dog with a bone. They can't let go of it, and they can't see it. We'll stop right here, and then we'll pick up um, at this point next week.